most times I see that people get wrong when it comes to like scaling or with the organization. Yes, the VCs are going to push you to get, you know, just push the numbers. Like we work mm-hmm. with some startups and yeah, yeah they're venture backed and they want to see some, they want to see that growth. Um, what we've seen though, and we've tested this is, yeah, we've, you can do that, you know, the spray and pray. But the point is a lot of people don't like it. They don't yeah. want it. So you get your brand automatically out the gate, get seen as a spammer versus doing the focus accounts. Conversations are at the heart of everything we do, but how do you turn a conversation into revenue? Welcome to B2B EQ, a podcast from Unifor. I'm your host, Tim Harris. Join me as I interview business leaders and market makers to learn how to move deals forward, scale best practices, and establish relationships that create value and grow revenue. Let's get started. Welcome back. Today's guest is a sales savant with a lot to share. He's a 2022 LinkedIn top voice in sales and a 2X top Salesforce influencer. He elevates sales teams by keeping sales simple and helps them master the fundamentals. Both the host of the Sales Evangelist podcast and chief sales evangelist at the Sales Evangelist, Donald Kelly. Donald, great to have you, sir. How are you? You know, I can't complain. Thank you so much. I love that intro there. Uh, it's nice. It's sweet. It's just so succinct. And um, when you're saying some of these things, it's like, who is this guy? I, I want to know what <laughs> the who, man was this person he's bringing on a show. And I'm like, this is, oh, it's me. <laughs> so, <laughs> love it. I have to borrow that one. <laughs> hey, definitely borrow it because you have made a name for yourself, not only through the work you do with sales teams, but also the free knowledge you share on LinkedIn all the time. And so, you know, with that, I want to jump right into the first question. We usually talk about soft skills and how it helps sellers, but you're someone who's been able to really make a name for themselves, both in the LinkedIn and Salesforce communities. First off, how do you think of community and how do you build community in those channels? Well, community in itself, I feel the way I think of a community, I, so I I was born in Jamaica, moved to Florida when I was nine and growing up in the the city that I was at, like there's something with the Jamaican culture, like everybody knows your business, everybody knows what's going on, but it's also a great benefit because when you have challenges, everyone can know how to help you and they have resources and it it gives you this, like, uh, I don't know, you have an extended family. Um, Mm -hmm. so, uh, they do, or they may or may not believe in, um, in some uh, disciplinary actions that are different in Jamaica than in the States. So your neighbor could give you a beating. (laughs) So the the point I'm trying to get at is that you you get so intertwined with people and you can understand and know how to best help and and identify challenges and, and, and the community can help each other. When I think of community, I think about that aspect of where I grew up in Jamaica. You have folks that have different knowledge, different skill sets and different ideas that can help you that leverage your up your game in a better way. When you work in a silo or individual working outside as a lone wolf outside of a community, yes, there's possibility of you being able to get a little bit more done. And yeah, you may not have much drama, but there's a character building trait that comes from being a part of a community as well as the resources and the strength and the 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 advantages of being able to capitalize on the masses or everyone that's together. So I, I that's how I view a community. So go back to the LinkedIn community, being able, being able to be a part of that. And the cool thing with the ecosystem of LinkedIn is that you, based on your roles and your your industry, can be a part of so many different micro communities on that platform. Um, and for so long, LinkedIn had this this persona of the 
it was the dad of the social medias that you know, shirt and tie. I say that in, a, in even a male version because that's how I would depict myself at that point. It was like, you know, you're a dad, shirt, tie, and suit. Facebook was like the younger kids and Insta was like, you know, the, the, the preteen, right? <laughs> and in that, people were a little bit more apprehensive about being more communal as they did on other platforms. But over the years, I would probably say over the last, you know, five, 10 years, I've seen a shift on LinkedIn where individuals were building community, not so much as a place as only to go and pitch to other people, but as a resource hub. Um, and being and seeing that, I personally, as I got more active on LinkedIn in in the sense of not not being one of those like, you know, grubby trying trying to just grab opportunities, but realized that if I was to give information to that community, teach somebody mm -hmm. one how to, you know, how to get some water when the water goes out in the community like we did in Jamaica, or if somebody having difficulty with firewood, we have some firewood. And so I was sharing that. And I, as I saw that started to happen and as it contributed to the community, I saw that my, my reputation and my, my connections became more sincere and we saw opportunities for growth. So I hope that answered the question about the LinkedIn part and the, the Salesforce component. Sorry, go ahead. No, it, it definitely does because it makes me think of when, when you said like, oh, everybody knew each other's business, right? There was transparency. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, that's the easy way to say it. Oh, there's transparency. Everybody knows what's going on. But I look yeah. at the people that build traction in LinkedIn, for example, they're the mm -hmm. ones that so quote unquote, you know, build in public, right? Build in front of everybody else or share and, and are open and authentic. And I think that's what you're getting to is like, 10 years ago, that was not LinkedIn. No. Today, it's going it that way a lot more. And it's actually yep. allowing people to get into the conversation and get more value. So different than what we see every day where our LinkedIn feeds are just a pitch. And I, th I think it's a, it's a good note for companies to look at because that's not the stuff, you know, the, the hey, post these things about the company, hit the A-B things. That's not going to sell on LinkedIn. <laughs> Not at all. And nobody yeah. wants that. Like, no, yeah, people, people want, like you said, to go back to the authentic. And I go to LinkedIn a lot for, I don't chase a lot of blogs anymore, Tim. Like I, mm -hmm. you know, like go and read a whole bunch of blogs. But what I would do and I do is read and follow individuals on LinkedIn um, and, and see the, you know, insights that they're sharing. And that's able to help me. Then supplementary, I might go find a blog that it might have or somebody else might have on the topic. But that that community aspect and being there and finding resources, um, it, it, it has helped uh, a lot and helped. Uh, helped me tremendously. And, and, and as a natural byproduct, I'm not going to lie, you get business from it too, right? Uh, one yeah. of the interesting stats that I saw from uh, when I was working, and I still work with LinkedIn, one of the things that they shared, I was working with a content creator coach over there, and this was two years ago, and he said that 2% of LinkedIn users were actually posting content regularly. And I was blown away by that, of the 850 million um, users, and say half of those were active. Um, but only 2%. But over the, I think it's gone up maybe closer to two and a half to three now. But still, yeah, that's minuscule. Uh, it's a very small number in comparison to the grand scheme of people that are on the platform. So the point is like, I encourage salespeople not to be shy, not to be fearful. But as I started to share what was working for me, um, I saw uh, that I, uh, I, I got more uh, opportunities where people started to reach out to me more and started to ask questions and, and, you know, and book appointments. I literally booked an appointment before this meeting uh, where someone 
was saw a post that I did on LinkedIn and started engaging in the DMs and it led to an appointment for them interested in one of our training programs. So that there's power in being in that visibility and building it public. Well, and I think you see it in the marketing front. You know, I come from that world and the amount of self-reported, hey, where did you hear about this company or where did you actually, what drew you in to have this meeting? Podcasts, LinkedIn, things that, God, hard to measure, hard to go and put into an attribution model and all those things. That's what's causing marketing <laughs> to be frustrated, right? But at the same time, like that's where we see it. So to get to brass tacks for our audience, like these are sellers, sure. you know, looking at, okay, LinkedIn, it's transparent. I can be real. I can be authentic. What do I do with this? How, what are some things that they can do? Maybe one or two takeaways, because I know you coach on this, that a yep. seller can do today. They log in in the morning, they're starting their day. What do you recommend? How much time do we have, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here's, here's the, 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 there's a, um, something that we developed internally. We call it connect, share, and engage. Like connect, it. share, and engage, connect, share, and engage. The concept here, go back to, and I'll break these all down. So tact if I were a new person going on LinkedIn platform, this is what I would do. And I'll give you another tactic after that too. Mm -hmm. So the connect side um, is, and the, the, it would be the bonus, but the connect side is look at your connection requests, right? The connection you have right now. Mm -hmm. And evaluate that comparison to your ideal customer. See what percentage of those people fit that ideal customer profile. If you're under that 25%, you got work to do. Um, I would want my profile to look about like 50% of the people that are connected to me could be my potential customer. Because, you know, as a, as a sales rep, somebody in the tenure in their career, like where we are, you're probably not going to switch drastic industry too much at this point. Mm -hmm. So the connections you have, you need to have those people. The, I did this with clients and I've seen that anywhere from five to 10% of their people were actually ideal customers. So I'm like, you got to fix that. Yeah. Not to go out and collect people like Pokemon cards though, <laughs> but we want to reach out to people who are going to be ideal customers or people that we could, you know, who could, who could see buy, um, buying from us. I recommend you connect with about five people per day over a, and I say connect the personal connection message. You can do this in the morning. So this is all within like a 10 minute window, right? Go into the filter. You don't need navigator for this. Do search for the ideal customers, the profile that you have, send the person, look at their profile and send a personal message to them. So I might look at someone and say, Tim, um, you know, so let's pretend you're in the Bay area. You have a nice picture of the golden gate bridge on the back of profile. I might say, Tim, love the golden gate bridge in your profile. I never had the, uh, every time I go to, uh, I've never actually ridden across it, but I would love to ride a bike across that. Anyways, permission to connect here on LinkedIn um, or bucket list. But you're going to probably say, yeah, Donald's cool thing. When you do get here, you know, check out some of these companies. Um, it'll be an honor to connect. But mm -hmm. we connect and I'm not pitching, but that I, I at least have a genuine connection with you. We can get into that later on. But the point is now I'm doing more of these personal connection requests that gives me the opportunity to really engage with the potential individuals and connect with them. But let's say 200 people I send out over the course of the month, five per mm -hmm. day, 25 per week. Um, uh, sorry. Yeah. 25 per week. Um, so let's say 100. So if you're going to keep the number mm -hmm. simple here, um, 25 per week, 100 per month and say 50 of them connect back with me. I just have 50 ideal customers. They may not necessarily want to buy today, but they connected back to me or engaged with me. Think about now the fact that the second thing, connect, share. The sharing in po the component of LinkedIn is where you share a piece of content. Since such a mm -hmm. small, per uh, only a small portion of LinkedIn users are posting regularly, if you post once a week, you're going to be light years ahead of like almost 97% of the platform. 
something that's going to be, even if it's curated content, put your spin on it. Not everyone in your profile is going to see it, but some are going to see that and you drop a, a, a hashtag with it. The algorithm will catch up to you over time to see that you're someone that posts regularly and you have three, four, five people that actually um, are, uh, you know, following you and, and engaging on your posts. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. You're connecting with people regularly. You're sharing content. What starts happening as you're connecting with these people on a day to day basis, you're seeing that they're going to see more of your content and start commenting or liking. The third component is to engage. So let's say I have my mom and seven other people that are engaging on my posts on LinkedIn. Yay. Yep. Half of those people are my ideal customers. So on that seven of them, four of them per se are going to be my ideal customers. And I send a personal message to them. Hey, Tim, saw that you engaged on my post about, um, you know, about, uh, you know, cold outreach, um, permission to ask a question. Yeah, sure, Donald. Um, I am always looking to create more content on the platform and, and to, for my audience. Um, when it comes to cold calling, what's the biggest challenge you guys are facing? Uh, blah, 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 blah. I appreciate that. I'm going to share some more stuff on that. Um, open mm -hmm. for me to give you some tips on fixing that problem. Yeah, sure. Um, give you send a voice message over and then next thing you know you might say cool and i was like if you're open to it we can jump on a five to seven minute call and i can go deeper and explain more yeah sure thing love to jump on a call with you donald but that component there of me just having a personal connection with someone share relevant content they engage on my posts and then i go back and, and engage with those individuals it increases the chances of me making genuine appointments from that um and that's a connect share and engage strategy simple basic and it's worked uh time and time again and the, the final thing that i would say the bonus idea that i mentioned at the top is the cherry on top here linkedin now gives you notification instead of just notification about a birthday it you can have a section where you you can see celebrations, birthday, new job, um, anniversaries, and so forth. It is gold. It is gold. It is gold. And what I mean by this is not to send a dumb default message. Congrats <laughs> on a new role, Tim. I've done this, Tim, and it's led to money, I'm telling you. So what I do, I look at some, especially in the promotions, I'll say, hey, a little birdie told me you just uh, you know, got a new role. Congratulations. What's your first line of business in that new position? Again, majority of the people are my ideal customers. Yeah, my the main thing, Donald, is I want to get my team up to par. I want to get them, um, you know, booking more appointments. And I'm just like, keep telling me secrets. Keep telling me. Because now they told me that, and that leads to opportunity for me to give them more insights and tips and say, if you're open to it, I can share you some strategies that's helped me to help our clients 3x their pipeline. Yeah, sure. Let's jump on a call, Donald, because I built a reputation of giving value. Anyways, but use the birthdays and celebration. Send us a video on LinkedIn. Use the native LinkedIn video tool on the mobile app. And I've done this and I've embarrassed myself quite a few times, but it's let the money where I might say something like, Tim, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Tim. Happy birthday to you. And you might say, bro, no one has ever done that before. Hey, no problem. That's great. But the point is all of these things help me to get add digital um, deposits and yep. then when I do send an email to you, when I see that trigger event that you are hiring a new, um, some new sales reps, you're going to pay attention to me on those. So I gave a lot there for a second. You gave a ton there. I I'm thinking our audience right now, like, like rewind, go back over that, break that down. This is, this is awesome because it's so tactical. But I think the thing that made the biggest difference for me is what you said at the beginning. If 50% of your ICP, or 50% of your audience is not your ICP, like then you get into the frantic side of, I just need to spam people. I need to get their attention. <laughs> like, we all have the sellers that go that way, right? Like the bad tactics. Yeah. 
But all of a sudden, the intentionality, because I, I hear a sales leader in the background saying this doesn't scale. It's too personalized. It doesn't scale. Donald, this is great for you. You've built a brand, but how does this scale across my commercial team, right? And I think if you start with that 50%, like I'd love to go to my own sellers and say, hey, is 50% of your audience in our ICP? Because then you're fishing in the right hole, right? Like, like, you know, the right people are there. Now it doesn't have to scale the same way because you're not trying to just boil the ocean, which we all get every day of the, the iMessage or in mails or all the other things that that come from who knows where. Yeah. Yeah. So, and to the follow up on that too, I want to give that uh, I, 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 those sales leaders, cause I've done this with my team and I had the same questions to myself. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, I want my BDRs, but I don't want them. It's not the whole, they're not, it's not that they're not picking up the phone. This mm-hmm. is just one of the, one of the tool belts in their strategy. We are, we're going to dial for, you know, we're going to dial up to those ideal customers. But when we do this first, those ID, those phone calls become relevant. Yeah. If we send a personal connection request, whether you accept the connection request or not, it, the fact that you do you, you increases that. And then when we multi-thread in that organization, so if we have a we have our focus accounts, I give them about twenty accounts that they focus on per you know per month that they mm-hmm. will dive into. But in those focus accounts, they follow the same strategy. Our ICPs, they're building profile with those individuals. This is, you're dropping like you know three individuals per a company that they're reaching out to and connecting to and having a personal connection request. I count those as meaningful, con- meaningful outreach activities, Absolutely. just as much I count a phone call. And from that, we see that the phone calls and the text messages that we send increases the odds of folks getting a respond. One that came, one of my reps this morning came into the office uh, over to my side and he's like, I got this phone call, a uh, text from a, a, a client, a prospect. He called, no answer, um, said he's going to send the text, sent the text, send the email as well. We send a video email and the person responded to the text. Hey, I saw your emails. Clever, like it. Um, and you know, and I appreciate the outreach. He didn't give us, a, she didn't give a reply back and not to meet or whatnot, but he was able to follow up with her. And she said, you know, yeah, we just, uh, you know, we, we're not ready to do this right now, but we want to do it. And we want to look to do something in six months. We're yeah. not going to give up on this person. Now he's going to re- go back in and multi-thread with the organization and also build relationship with this person and call in six months as we promised. But that works. We broke through the clutter. We got a yep. reply and it was because of all of this, not because of just the LinkedIn component side to it. It, it makes sense. And I think the, the yep. key there is you, you broke through the noise because the, the thread mm-hmm. that we constantly talk about on here is, there's so much noise in the market that then just yeah. sending a million emails and, and trying to do that through sheer quantity doesn't work. But I love how you broke this down. And, and so take me through that. In a month, you'll have 20 accounts, probably have yep. what, five to six in the buying group per account. Yep. So now that's a, that's a manageable audience of contacts that they can actually spend some time getting to know. Bro, yes. Because I, 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 the thing... What I get wrong, what most times I see that people get wrong when it comes to like scaling or with the organization. Yes, the VCs are going to push you to get, you know, just push the numbers. Like we work mm-hmm. with some startups and yeah, yeah they're venture backed and they want to see some, they want to see that growth. Um, what we've seen though, and we've tested this is, yeah, we've, you can do that, you know, the spray and pray. But the point is a lot of people don't like it. They don't yeah. want it. So you get your brand automatically out the gate, get seen as a spammer versus doing the focus accounts. And it's not saying that my sales reps and I are doing less outreach activity. We call them meaningful outreach activities to those, those focus accounts. And they're still getting those reps in. So it's just that yeah. you might, when you do a phone call and a text message, you're not doing this every single, um, you know, uh, play, 
But if you do a phone call, we advertise the next activity. Hey, Tim, it's Donald. We connected on LinkedIn last week, um, blah, 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 blah. Um, mm -hmm. I, I know you're probably busy right now. I'm going to go ahead and send a text message. It's easier to respond there as well. Um, my phone number is blah, blah, blah. So if it comes up on your smartphone, you can push the number and it can dial or send a text message. Tim, it's DK. Um, I left the voicemail. Uh, the reason why, I'm, why, reason why I'm reaching out is because of blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Is this something you're open to hearing more about? And probably can you can reply quickly there, DK, not right now, or yes, I'm open to it, reach out yep. in a week or so, whatever. We, we, now we got to the noise. But the point is you're making those, in, those connections or those points of um, meaningful outreach activities lead to the meaningful conversations or mm -hmm. the conversations. What is the conversation via text or a conversation via phone? It's still a conversation, right? And then the activities come as, a, I mean, the, the, um, the discos come as a natural byproduct of that. But we know the trends and we've tried this. And here's a problem that I find too in, the, in, in some of the, the CRMs. I call it a follow-up game where mm -hmm. sometimes it kind of, it's kind of like taking a kid and putting them in front of a freaking tablet and say, sit down and say, I'm a good parent. It's, some, it's a crappy leader. Sometimes tell a sales rep, you know, just go do all the follow-ups. Call everyone on the, or your follow-up list. Like that's randomized. It is not yeah. organized and you're just going down the list to check off an activity. What we've seen better, again, go back with these focus accounts and having those meaningful outreach activities. They find cool stuff that they can do. Whether they, you know, if I'm going to hit you up on LinkedIn now, my follow-up to you, Tim, may just be the comment on that post that you just did with Donald and say, yeah. Tim, that episode was straight fire. I'm going to try those activities that you share. Per, and, uh, can I follow up with you and give you my return uh, update on what, what works? Of course, you're going to be excited yeah. about that. And now I'm going to send you a reply email. Tim, here's my report. Try the things that Donald said absolutely work, blah, blah, blah. Keep them coming. Um, if you're still open to it, I'd love to share with you another idea I think could work for you know your, your accounting team uh, when it comes to the uh, QuickBooks. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's take the call, Donald. Anyways, that's a follow-up. And that's what we see that makes such a big difference. It's organized. It seems a little bit more, it's personalized, um, but it takes discipline rather than just to go down a list and say, my, my team did 150 dials today. Like, come on. Like, yeah, dialed who, dialed who and did what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you made the calls and I've seen that happen and, and you almost feel bad. It's, uh, I always say it's the difference between someone who knows how to swim and someone who doesn't, right? You can splash Ooh, yeah. around in a pool all day long and you look mm -hmm. like you're drowning or you got yeah. Michael Phelps and you just look smooth and you just, you're moving forward the whole time, consistent, yeah. smooth strokes. And I think a lot of organizations between the data that they're, that they're working through that's tough data or, or inaccurate data, the big long call list they get, it ends up being that frantic approach. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. It's tough. Kindred spirit, Tim. <laughs> this, is, this is what we're trying to unlock because I think when more people think of quality over quantity and, and are actually measuring like quality, like when you talked about those touch points, every one of those touch points that you suggested felt like, wow, this is quality. This is somebody who cares about me or cares about my business actually reaching out to me to help or add value, mm, which is yes. way different than just the quantity gain. Yeah, because it's hard and, to balance both. So, and I, I again, and, and I, I feel sorry to, to yeah uh, to stop there. Like I feel the the critical component then to that to um you know I'm gonna say um Bill the the sales leader who said this is not scalable. Like just think about this from your this perspective, Bill. <laughs> I would rather my team feel engaged, feel they're finding progress rather than feeling defeated mm -hmm. and not. Uh, seen any results from it 
or you know you can book i had an interview um is ari from the challenger and they started to change their process as well a little bit um, mm -hmm. the challenger organization because they saw there on the episode he was mentioning how they um they were getting booked appointments but those booked appointments weren't generating any they, the wow. deals majority of the deals weren't coming from the outreach the outbound and it was like this is fascinating and they change stuff to focus on more quality outreach and i mean obviously the appointment number dropped a little bit but they didn't there the don't no shows decreased and the deal size and the actual deals increased so i'm like it's a no-brainer at that point yeah um because the same buyers you're reaching out to newsflash it's not secret but many people think it's a secret their sales team is doing the same exact thing you're doing so it's like two ninjas yep. going against each other. So you'll see who can throw out the most emails and get the results. So Bill, try this, test it out for a month. Don't do it with all your reps, test it with two of your reps. Feel free to hit me up and I'll be more than willing to give some feedback and insights. Not all the bills are out there. It's like, Donald, I didn't say anything bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I swear I'm a quality guy, I'm a quality guy. <laughs> so you talk about this though, but I think there's, there's, there's something that goes to the underlying idea of, of what we've talked about on the show is EQ, right? The, the soft skills mm -hmm. you call them, I think sales habits, you talk about the sales mindset and kind of the time management skills to me, that's like your self-awareness, your social awareness, self-regulation. Like those are the pillars and, and motivation. Those are the pillars of EQ. So mm -hmm. I, I'm always interested, like what brought you to saying, aha, this is the way to go. Like, like this is the way what brought Donald to that, that conclusion. And then when you're talking with teams, how do you, how do you work to shift their mindset that way? So I feel that anyone can sell. I truly believe this. I worked in an organization where I, when I first started off my career in the professional world um, selling, I, I did all the, the things that weren't supposed to be done and did all the things wrong and failed and had the headaches. Literally at the end of the day, I would go to on LinkedIn and go to networking events and I felt like I was literally spinning my wheels uh, and I did not see any forward movement um, at all. And it wasn't until I got into a, company where they invested did formal training in me and started selling software the you know after three months of this of you know, six weeks of training and uh, six, you know, three months in the process i started performing better in mm -hmm. my booked appointments than some of the outside reps and what i saw that was a couple of components here was i needed to succeed at this job tim because literally i was borrowing rent money from my mom and i had i'd come coming out fresh out of college and first uh, member of my immediate family to graduate from college and here i am supposed to be the one setting an example i'm borrowing money from mom eating wendy's one dollar wraps in my car <laughs> Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and it was just like this, this, this annoyance, but what happened as a natural byproduct of practicing these things, I saw that I started succeeding. So my why was I needed to take care of myself and my family who mm -hmm. sacrificed so I can be in this position. And that motivated me. So go back to this EQ and I, and, and, and so forth. I saw people who had more experience than I did one people mm -hmm. who knew the tactics better than I did two, and people who had more experience in the company selling that product than I did three. But how in the world was I able to outperform them? Mm -hmm. And again, I didn't, all I did was the basics. So the tactical things, but then also I had that big why that was hanging over me. And mm -hmm. anyone, you can teach people to the moon and back, but until that individual has a motivating purpose or reasons, 
they're not going to perform. And 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 some people say money is not a great motivator. You know, it's money is a great tool. And if in your life you want to have the money, so I would say look at the money for the outcome. If you want to have the money so you can go to Europe or travel, then that's cool. Zig said, uh, Zig, we're talking like on first name basis. Zig Ziglar <laughs> said that you know money is not the most important thing in the world, but it's right up there with oxygen, right? Yep. So you can use that as a great tool. I would say the why is going to be a more component thing. So when it comes to like understanding the EQ and the, and, and the reason behind it, the motivation, the mindset behind this, I look at a couple of areas. One is that, is there an outside motivation that's going to help you or internal motivation or something that's going to guide you to be better? Two, mm-hmm. I help individuals to understand their, I, I try to help teams or individuals to understand their capabilities and their potential. Like think about what you are capable of doing and think about all the human beings who have accomplished great things on the face of this earth like you could do are you living to that potential of your capabilities and if you don't find that fulfillment in this job then it may be that you need to look at another company that you could find that fulfillment in and that's the third component is to find a company that you just have a super duper big passion for i call it the moral obligation i'll tell you one of the companies i worked for was in the medical field and one of the things that i saw what we saw was if you take a patient out of the the nursing home and take that individual to a hospital you're increasing liability for the organization and to do a chest x-ray or to increase the odds of that person getting sick or whatnot Keep them mobile. So we had a company that we worked with and one of this, these uh, in the healthcare space and they did mobile x-ray to facilities. I knew the owners and I was passionate for the cause. I thought this was yeah. great. In college, I did door-to-door security. In middle school, my systems got stolen. I remember somebody broke into our house, a burglar, and stole our, our um, 64 and our PlayStation oh. and all that stuff. And I was so annoyed. So when I was selling security systems, I felt... Everyone should have a security system because I experience it. So because of one of the, if you can't find a reason for, for, uh, for what you're doing, you're going to have a really hard time, even if you know the tactics. So the mm-hmm. one top thing, again, have a personal why that's pushing you. Number two is have a, uh, your, your desire to perform to your best of your capabilities and have a, you know, not to just live a lump on a log for the next 40, 50 years. And then three is have a company that you just have a deep passion for their solution. And I'm not talking, it doesn't have to be any earth shattering thing like you discovered a cure for cancer, but it could be a software that could save someone you know, a significant amount of time. Yeah. Your moral obligation is to go out and tell everyone about that, to evangelize, to go on LinkedIn, to make the phone calls and do the emails. When you have one of these things, it guides you and gives you a sense of accomplishment or purpose. And that it helps you to be able to perform well and helps you with those soft skills to, to start growing in, in your, uh, in your, uh, your capabilities or beliefs um, behind those, which then translate into the performance side. I think it's a good thing to talk about when Gartner reports right now, hey, 95% of sellers are burnt out and you hit on two things like go back and focus on what's motivating you to, to be in this role and to succeed, like why I get up every day and why why I put in the, the time because it is a tough position, especially in our current economy, right? If you're in, if you're in tech sales right now, you're seeing a lot of change, a lot of challenge, a lot of things slow down or big enterprise buying decisions, all that stuff. But then I love what you said on the find the belief in in the thing you're selling because this goes into i think how sales has evolved sales we keep saying hey we want our sellers to be trusted advisors right the challenger sale if you're going to do a challenger sale you've got to be able to understand the status quo and then challenge them to think differently you've got to add you know proof points and market understanding and and true business acumen to that discussion otherwise you're just pitching a product or pitching a different way of doing something I find that that buyers today are looking for that in our sellers. 
They're looking for the advice. They're looking for the, okay, hey, I read the specs, the speeds and feeds on this microphone. I, I read the speeds and feeds on this microphone. Now, Donald, I want to talk to you because you've run a podcast for the last three years. What's worked and why is it work? And what's the difference between these speeds and feeds? And that's where mm-hmm. the seller inserts in, but we don't necessarily always have the ability to elevate the discussion to that point. I, I think there's the therein lies the disconnect between buyers and sellers sometimes. And you know, you spoke to mutual action plans in a recent uh, episode, and, and yes. I'd love you to share a little bit about that because to me, it, it, it's we always say selling is a team sport, but I think more than ever, buying is becoming a team sport. I don't get any money from these folks. I would recommend, the, so I interviewed Gal um, over at Align. You mm-hmm. can check them out, just Align and then do digital sales room. I was on a webinar recently and uh, one of the individual mentioned this concept was and last year. She mentioned digital sales room. I was like, digital what? And she said, <laughs> digital sales room. And the, th- the, the beautiful thing about my role, when I first started off, I did a lot of one-on-one cons- uh, coaching and then did consulting. And we still do a, 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 you know, some of that, but our business has evolved um, to you know, cohort-based. But one of the things that I did see, though, was that people had a really hard time closing a deal. I'm a visual person, so I wrote everything down and I would use my tablets and things like that. And then I said, well, let me see how many people fall in my category as a digital learner. 65% of people fall into the category of digital learners. My wife worked in commercial real estate and she didn't do the selling side, but worked in as far as the execution of like a new build out and, and so forth mm-hmm. when in the commercial real estate. And so many things goes into that. So all of these things were swirling in my head. I'm like, holy moly, sales is like project mapping. Like it just need it's like a project manager, especially an enterprise level deal. And you know, yeah. when I sold enterprise level software, it's the same thing. It's like you're who does what, when they do it, how they're gonna do it, so we can finish by this time period. So this started all making sense to me. And I like this is just makes sense. So I was looking at mutual and uh, you know, mutual action plans and using utilizing those and coaching people on that. So when I saw a digital sales room that they were able to do that. I was like, this is a brain, a, 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 like a, a mind shift. Um, mm-hmm. But you think about it from this, pros- this process now with the prospect, working with them as a consultant, because I've been down this path before and you're trying to, you know, quote unquote, build something by, you know, January, by uh, August 1. Here's what I see that needs to happen before that can take place. You mm-hmm. visually post Put, put it out there because most of your prospects, unfortunately, or fortunately, they're not buying your solution on a day-to-day basis. You may say, yes, they buy enterprise-level software, but they don't buy a CRM on a day-to-day basis. They don't buy a new um, you know, HR management solution on a day-to-day basis. And the last time they bought this, they probably weren't a part of the buying committee. So even though we assume they know the buying process, they don't know the buying process for the solution. And it takes a consultant to guide that individual and help them to understand the things that they need to do so they don't have hiccups along the way. But digital sales room literally allow that. You have that mutual action plan in a visual place as well as all the email correspondence and all the ICPs or the, the stakeholders in one area, as opposed to going back and digging through emails. You have recaps, you have the demos that are saved inside of this. And all of this does, it shortens your sales process and it yeah. increases the chances of deals closing because now you make it frictionless for them. 
you're also giving them the opportunity to be able to make better decisions because you're empowering that individual by providing the not only the proper resources, but the proper reasonings behind them. And you're educating them. Like again, anyone could be an order taker, but order takers don't make money. And order takers having a hard time these days. But a yeah. consultant who can challenge the status quo and can lay out and show and demonstrate and explain why we need to do something and how we need to do it to make the proper, to get the end result. Those people are empowering their customers to make a decision. And those people are, are seeing a greater result. I have a belief that sales is not about persuading people to buy your solution. Sales is about persuading people to make a sales. is about helping educating people enough to persuade themselves to make a decision that's in their best interest uh, for which you already know. And for which they will compensate you. You know what I mean? So it, yeah. Using the mutual action plan or a digital sales room equips the buyer and allows for you to be truly be that consultant and to be able to guide them through that process. And, you know, it makes it frictionless to sell. Well, and totally different. Again, it goes back to you, you said that's at the beginning. Hey, when I grew up, community was was transparent. Well, now if I'm a seller and we're just laying everything out there and we're building together, everything's transparent for the buyer. That's a whole oh, yeah. new world that we're living in, in terms of a buyer. I mean, most of these deals were done like, oh yeah, we'll give you a proof of concept. Once you sign the legal agreement, <laughs> once you do this, and it's a whole different game. So it's what different. are the soft skills? What are the, what are the abilities that a seller needs to bring to the table today that are making a difference? I would probably say one of the soft skills that uh, sellers need to bring to the table. I mean, this one is a, is an age old one. Mm -hmm. um, and I would probably say the, you know, your listening skills. Um, yeah. And, but it's, it, I would change it a little bit, not just say, just listen. Somebody says, I need this solution installed. Like when I hear that, I'm like, okay, I need this institution in, solution installed. Happy ears say, let's go ahead. They want to buy our solution. But deep down, I'm like, they need a solution installed. Are they only talking to me about this? Are they talking to other people about this? When did they need it by? And why did they need, need it in the first place? Why did they feel that they need this uh, solution in the first place? And usually when somebody tells me this, there's, you know, maybe there, there's other people that was about a part of this. Like there's, there's so much that can come from that when you listen between the lines, so to speak. So as a, as a individual seller, you ask yourself those follow-up questions in your head before those follow-up questions are vocalized to the prospect. Mm -hmm. And I think that skill or that capability to be able to see and read between the lines are going to help you as uh, tremendously, you know, they'll go back to the whole adage, you know, you have two ears and one mouth. Yeah. Just calm that down when it comes to, you know, trying to book that demo, try to, uh, I, I feel that if you have the capability of being able to look for ways to disqualify people rather than qualify people, you'll find that you have way more deals that do qualify and find way more success, but their listening skills as a soft skill is going to be absolutely essential for you these days. The other thing that I would say, another skill that I've seen a skill set that is, is your skill set of uh, curiosity, um, so mm -hmm. to speak. And if, if you want to label that as a skill set, but it's a soft one. And I, I feel curiosity or the attribute of being very curious is critical in these days because your companies are not going to give you everything that you need to be able to truly become a consultant. Your company is going to give you everything you need to become up to par. So let's mm -hmm. say I work for a manufacturing company and we sell, I don't know, manufacturing widget. They're going to tell me everything about the titanium widget and about where we get it from in China and India and uh, the capabilities behind that and what kind of tools it can cut through and all of those things. But what I need to better understand is to understand that, you know, the, the, the company is not going to tell me is, is I need to be curious to understand then 
let's talk about titanium, why titanium works so well. And then what's the, what's going on with titanium right now? We're seeing like a lot of, uh, you know, think the mining in, in Africa where most of the uh, titanium is coming from making this up, right? Most of our titanium are coming from, you know, Western Africa. And we're seeing some of these issues that are going on with the, the sta- destabilization of that. Are there alternatives that we can look at as well? I, I'm, but I'm getting this information. Yeah. So I can bring it to my prospect. Now I'm way more of a consultant, but I, the only way I got that was being curious. And I'm not saying that you need to stop watching ESPN. I love my ESPN, bro. And I love my, you know, go watch my first take and get up and, and so forth. And I don't know what I'm doing with Shannon and Sharp and uh, what's it called? And, and, and what's the name breaking up now? <laughs> um, <laughs> but the point is you, you can probably do it like in, you know, 15 minutes in the morning, listen to something or go to an industry report. Um, yeah. or whatnot. But that curiosity aspect helps you. So listening, being curious and this, the skill of asking questions, like being able to ask great questions. You don't need to go to a reporting school and become like Barbara Walters or, um, you know, Wolf Blitzer or whoever some of these you know, folks out there. You just need to understand and recognize the ability to go deeper. Once you hear and you repeat, you hear things between the line, be willing and bold enough to ask questions. And I practice that with my friends doing follow up questions with my family or even mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, you might re-listen to a tape or of a, a call and think about what questions could I ask that I did not ask um, as I re-listen between the lines. So listening skills, the effect of asking questions and curiosity, I think are some of those skills that if sellers can bring and need now more than ever to be able to thrive in a challenging economy and also to be a char- thrive in an environment where buyers are expecting you to perform and be at a higher level than an order taker. Uh, you hit it on the head. We did some recent uh, research and I found this really interesting 500 buyers and sellers, right? Enterprise accounts. Mm-hmm. 70% of our of our buyers, or I'm sorry, of our sellers said spot on, hey, I, they don't tell me what they want. They don't tell me, like, I, I can't read their minds. And I'm going, <laughs> yeah, that's true. But you just hit it on the head. It's because are you coming as a seller with the business acumen to then ask the right questions to really understand. Cause mm-hmm. I think it's to your point, we, we get taught, okay, what CRM are you on? Oh, Jeff, yeah, you qualify. Okay. What other tools are you on? Oh, you qualify. Hey, do you have uh, how many sellers do you have in your organization? <laughs> Those are all very self-serving. Those are all things he, like to, to get you fit with the product, but not to yeah. sell you on the concept and the idea. And, you know, corporate visions, they do a lot of work in this space. And one of the stats I've found interesting from them is 4X. That's the value that buyers put on business acumen over product information. Come on, man. 4X. So that tells you right there, like if I'm betting, that's where you put your bet and your time. Yeah, And it goes back to like what you were talking about on the listening. And then I think those daily sales habits, the 15 minutes for the periodicals every morning, there's some gold here. So yeah, we've gotten the last bit, Donald, you've, you've taught me so much. I feel like I've gotten the last, you know, 30, 45 minutes to learn from <laughs> you. So, so for this audience, let's learn a little bit about you. You know, wh- what, what yeah, excites man. you about the future and, uh, and then let's jump into kind of what got you here, but what excites you about the future coming up in sales? Yeah. Uh, what excites me about the future, um, specifically with sales is I feel that it's weeding out the, um, well, uh, it's weeding out people who are order takers, and I, yeah. and I don't want people to lose jobs, but I, I do believe that it elevates the game for each and every one of us. I've been podcasting since 2013, and when NPR came in the game, 
my podcast went to another level because I knew I was competing against the earbuds of people who were listening to, you know, you know uh, fresh air and things like yeah. that. So it, my quality and my production increased uh, tremendously from that. It elevates the game. And I think that's what's happening right now. We're seeing tools such as, you know, artificial intelligence and that are not taking, not becoming sentinels taking over our lives, but they're becoming tools that are enhancing our capabilities to perform in our roles and to make it easier. I can utilize AI to help me understand some of those periodicals or trends that I need to study about so I can be better in my role or how to understand different personalities and it's in so many different things. But I'm really excited for the use and tech of utilizing technology even more so to enhance my capabilities to perform as a sales rep and also to become more of the consultant. I have a, a two sales textbook with my um, co-author and um, one of the things that I see when I ask and I, I, at my alma mater I have a sales class that I do once a semester with them as they're developing their sales program and I find it it's fun but I, I look at these students I'm like man I wish I could go back to him and if there's <laughs> yeah. a way that I can go back and perform as a developing a sales program I wish I could become more of that that pretend like I'm going to Deloitte as mm -hmm. a, um, but as a sales professional, because if you have that capability to have that analytical capabilities and to be able to analyze and know the language of business, which is, you know, accounting and finance, if you can understand yeah. that, you're going to be so much more with that business acumen. And I think again, if you're, you know, look at Price Waterhouse Cooper or some of these major, um, you know, consulting firms, their consultants are sales professionals, but they don't realize they're sales professionals, yeah, because they're consulting and literally helping people make those decisions. And I feel sales reps are evolving to that world because the buyer naturally wants us to do it. And so I'm really excited about those two things uh, when it comes to the future of selling. Um, so the elevation of the sales role and the enhancing of the sales role with uh, you know utilizing AI um, to make life a little bit better for us. So I love that you call out that trend because when I got into tech for the first part of this, the thing that was so interesting to me is who was actually implementing and putting all these solutions into place at enterprise companies. And it was always an SI. Like I remember yeah. getting into some of the biggest deals and they're like, Hey, we're all on board. Go talk to our SI. And the SI <laughs> were always Accenture, Deloitte, like all of those, right? Blue Wolf, yep. whatever it was. Cause a lot of stuff was CRM at the time, but yeah. they were the ones that did, they spoke the language of business. And now your seller was actually trying to sell them. And it was a much higher level of discussion. And I think our buyers are getting to that point where they're having those discussions directly with sales. That's a cool trend. Yep. I, I'm excited to see where it goes. I think it's a, it's an opportunity for us to all up our game. So 100%. take me back a little bit. You said, hey, I wish I could be back out of college. What is the <laughs> one thing, if you give yourself that, that kind of look back, that introspective moment, what would you tell yourself now if you were just graduating college? I was just graduating college. Um, one of the things that I would tell myself is um, never stop learning. Um, I, I fortunately, I podcast started to help me to do so. But when I graduated school, I was like, yeah, let's jump out into the real world now. But um, mm -hmm. if I, I, I wish I'd continued that same knowledge, uh, that, that desire for, for knowledge. Um, and take on more, uh, even more like uh, certification classes. You have Udemy and things of that nature where you can get like, you know, certificates and, and just being able to understand things more about business. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is I, I think I, I know I neglected, I did not network appropriately in college. I am an outgoing person and I connected with people. If I was doing this again, I would start my, I would do 
um, some universities require you to have one internship. I would have done probably three, four, five internships and extended my college experience because that way I can get into different organizations. What I'm seeing that happens as a natural byproduct of your network is that you, it becomes valuable. If um, you're going, if I, I, would, I know this kid that was in Salesforce, who was in uh, Google, he was in, he worked at YouTube, he worked at Adobe. And now he, when he graduated, landed a job at LinkedIn. He did a bunch of internships wow. with large organizations. So his network becomes that much more vast. Three to four years from now, as those people that he was connecting with, those hiring managers become executives think about how strong his networking pool is because he was able to uh, pollinate so many you know get pollen from so many mm -hmm, different companies mm -hmm. during his college experience and i think sometimes we overlook that um in in this vein and just build network like sometimes i looked at networking as something that i wanted as a result yeah. and i think for back then you know i want to graduate i'm trying to find an internship so i'm going to network to get something but networking is not necessarily doing that to get something now it's about putting that deposits in so i can potentially you know earn an opportunity later with that individual or other people or just being able to get help other people and, the, and now probably one of the final thing is as a student i didn't realize how much that i could give back to people I always felt that I, I didn't know enough, but there are a lot mm -hmm. of companies that, you know, I could probably do stuff for them. Um, I can leave reviews for their, uh, their sites. I can, you know, connect them with other people that I know. Um, even if there's somebody that's a, you know, a seasoned executive in their industry, there are so there are opportunities where you can still give back and give to people. And I think I was too much of a taker right out of college. So hopefully those would give a uh, young DK some guidance to, towards the future. I think it gives even people in their career right now, right? If, if you're making a transition or whatever it might be, like plant those seeds now so yeah. that then later on, they're really going to be there and valuable. It, outside of sales, you, you're doing a podcast, coaching a bunch of large organizations. We've seen you all over. Um, what what gets you going outside of sales? What's What about your personal side? Yeah. So I, my wife, um, uh, I knew her since I was 14 and uh, she is uh, – um, the smart, beautiful one that keeps everything going. Uh, and we have a little guy, he's four before in August. And those two, um, they're just like two amazing, they're pillars for me that gives me that why and helps me to move forward and push me and um, spending time with them. I, I love what I do. I love spending time with them. I love going for little drives down A1A in South Florida on the water and the beach and, um, you know, and being able to go do staycations in South Florida here or, um, you know, go different places and get a chance to travel with them. So those they're, they're, they're the most important. And I'm a deeply uh, religious individual, um, faith individual, faith-based. So mm -hmm. um, that's a huge part of my life, being able to contribute to my com local community um, and, uh, you know, look to my, my personal relationship with deity and with God. So those things are important to me um, outside of work. Tremendous. Well, I love it. And and where can people find you? Where can they connect? If we don't run into you in South, uh, in West Palm Beach, <laughs> where, where can we connect with you outside of that? If you come to West Palm Beach, any of you, and I don't, and I know you all, and you don't hit me up, <laughs> we're gonna have problems, man. We got some good taco spots, some good eateries and stuff around here. Um, I, I would say you can go to LinkedIn if you want to connect with me and just drop a you know message, you know, hit me up with an email, uh, say connected, listen to Tim, and got a chance to meet you. And drop me a message. Uh, would be an honor to connect there. If you want to get some free resources, some assets that we have and content, go to the salesevangelist.com, get a free course, or take advantage of our weekly tips and sign up on the list. And I'll make sure to give you some good, good content like this when we uh, when you connect. So those two places. Awesome. 
And and Donald, you dropped some great things. I'm already thinking, okay, CSE, connect, share, engage. At 50% ICP in my LinkedIn. So I hope everybody uh, enjoys this episode. I know I learned a lot. Donald, thank you so much for joining us. Tim, thank you so much. And I'll tell your listeners, if they haven't done this already, they better do it because this show is like straight. They should be paying to listen to the show. Tim has so much value. So give him a review of this podcast. And one of the things is the biggest compliment. When somebody take a screenshot of my podcast or a link and post it on LinkedIn and tag me, that just goes a long way. It's, this is a, it's a tough game to get more earbuds. So if you can do that for Tim, I know he's going to be super pumped for that. So from outsider asking you, help him out with that. So thanks so much, guys. Hey, Donald, thank mission. you again. And to our audience, thank you so much. I hope you learned something today and uh, laughed, enjoyed a little bit about the podcast, and we will see you next time on another episode of B2B EQ. We hope you enjoyed this episode of B2B EQ. Be sure to rate, subscribe, and follow the podcast for more exciting insights. To learn more about the value of EQ and the technology powering today's conversations, visit us at unifor.com.